today I want to talk to you about worship and how beautiful worship is. I'm going to talk to you about worship from the book of Exodus. And in speaking about my little vacation time, how many of you fathers, how many of you husbands are cheapskates and are not ashamed to admit it? If they are, you can, you can raise your hand, uh, wives, uh, and, and indicate that your, your man is cheap. I, I'm cheap, I admit it. I won't pay full price. I gotta look for a sale. I'm always negotiating. There's always a negotiation. Isn't that true? You know, I go into Best Buy and I ask for a better deal. It doesn't matter what. You, you, you gotta learn to ask for a better deal. But how many of you know that when you're going on vacation and you're trying to get replenished and you're trying to start off well, paying a $400 fee for an entire week is not always the best thing? Um, I looked for a deal and I thought, man, these COVID deals are amazing. $400, not for a night, for the whole week. I said, I'll take it. Well, I'll tell you about how it went when I showed up. <laughs> how do you think it went? <laughs> Some of you are shaking your head. You get what you pay for, Pastor, right? You get what you pay for. Well, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's just say I needed God to perform an, ex an exodus to get me out of there and to do something miraculous. Today, I wanna to talk to you about worship from the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in God's word. It follows after the book of Genesis and it's entitled Exodus because that's exactly what God does with his people. He exits them and takes them out of slavery, first physical and then spiritual. Many times he does it different Many times he'll set you free spiritually and then set you free physically. But there's two components to freedom. Some would even say there's three components to freedom. There's a physical, there's a spiritual, and there's an emotional. And God wants to set you free in every facet of your life. And so the book of Exodus covers God setting his people free. Let's break it up into two parts. One through 18 is the Exodus from Egypt. And then I have 18 through 40, but it's 19 through 40 is the spiritual Exodus or him healing them emotionally, him healing them emotionally and spiritually. And that's through a covenant that he makes with them at Mount Sinai. So you have the Exodus of Egypt, which was, which is what we'll cover here today. And it's very interesting because the book of Exodus takes place where the book of Genesis leaves off. Now, the book of Genesis takes us through the fall, the fall of man, Adam and Eve. They, they uh, sin against the Lord and they fall from relationship and fellowship with God. Now, relationship and fellowship with God is freedom and peace. And so they forfeit their freedom and peace and they are enslaved to sin. God doesn't give up on mankind. He establishes a new covenant or a covenant with a man named Abraham. Abraham is what the rest of the book of Genesis is about. He unfolds Abraham's life and Abraham's son Isaac and then eventually Abraham's grandson Jacob. Now Jacob has 12 sons, his 11th son through the course of some circumstances, some inner fightings within the family ends up in Egypt. Some say inner fightings, they sell him into slavery. His brothers do, right? That's crazy. But he ends up in Egypt. 
because of God's blessing. How many of you know that the book of Genesis is an indication that no matter what this family does and this family messes up time and time and time again, God remains faithful. You can take courage and encouragement in that, that even though you mess up, God will be faithful and he'll hold his promise to you. And so you see God holding his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even through Joseph, Jacob's 11th boy. He ends up in Egypt. God raises him up, again, through a course of circumstances to be the second in command to Pharaoh. As second in command to Pharaoh, he helps Egypt negotiate and navigate through the most treacherous famine this land had ever experienced. Because it was so bad, it affected the regions all around Egypt and it brought Joseph's brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery, to his doorstep asking for food. He's able to save Egypt, he's able to save his family, And when Pharaoh hears that his family is here because of his great love for Joseph, he rolls out the red carpet and he gives their family the choice land in Egypt. And Jacob now goes to move his entire 70 member family to be with his 11th son, Joseph. They set up there in Egypt. Now 400 years pass and this is where we take up the story of Exodus. 400 some years pass, a new Pharaoh is alive. Jacob has gone to be with the Lord. Joseph and all his brothers are with the Lord. And now the people of Israel, the Hebrew nation has grown into a mighty people. And a new Pharaoh comes to be that doesn't remember Joseph, doesn't care about Jacob, doesn't care about him helping him with the family. All he knows is that these people are foreigners in his land and he's threatened by them. He's threatened because God keeps blessing them. How many of you know when God blesses you, some will feel threatened? Can I get an amen? Amen. You know, some of us don't like to, to be blessed because we're afraid of what others might say. You've got to get comfortable with that and understand that when God loves you, some aren't going to like it. And that's okay. I'd rather have God's love. Amen. You can say, Lord, I'd rather have your blessing. Doesn't matter who likes it or not. Well, the Bible says that God's blessing is in the form of fruitfulness and multiplication. And so God uses these words, fruitful and multiplied. He made them fruitful and he multiplied them. Can I tell you, this is part of our purpose statement here at Foundation. I want you to think about what our pathway looks like. We have a pathway. It shows the different steps to enter into your purpose with God. We say, connect with God, connect with others, connect with purpose, be Christ-like disciple makers. If you want to break down that be Christ-like disciple makers or being Christ-like disciple makers, if you want to break that into two words, it's what? Mature and multiply. Isn't that fruitful and multiply? But to mature, you're fruitful. To multiply is to expand and to make more like Christ. And you see this, you see this to start off the book of Exodus. God fruitfully multiplies. Now I've highlighted a few words there in Exodus chapter one, verse seven. Read them with me. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased Now watch this, they were fruitful, they increased abundantly, they multiplied and they grew exceedingly. 
Now, I want you to see those words because those words, my, my dear Christian, are the words God uses for you. God uses these words throughout the entire scripture, both Old and New Testament. He says, I wanna bless you beyond your wildest dreams. I am for you and not against you, right? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to what? Prosper you and not to harm you. These are the very first words that God used with Adam and Eve before they forfeited their blessing. Read it with me in the book of Genesis. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God was for them. God wanted to see this happen. Well, humanity forfeited their blessing there through Adam and Eve, but God was not deterred. He raised up a man by the name of Abram. Now read the words that he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. You say Abram or Abraham, you'll see. 17 verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. There's that word multiply and exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called, what? Abram. But your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you as well. Can I tell you, this is also echoed in the New Testament words of Jesus. In chapter 10, verse 10 of John, Jesus says this. The thief comes to what? Steal kill and destroy. So God's enemy desires to destroy the fruitful and the multiplication that God wants to expand in your life. But watch what God's plan is. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. What increasingly, abundantly fruitful life. That's the kind of life Jesus came to give us. If you don't believe me, read what Paul says as he gets the revelation of grace for the church. Paul receives the revelation of grace, which he begins to make know in the book of Ephesians. And one of the hallmark verses of Ephesians is Ephesians 3.20 that Pastor Melissa and I love because we believe that's what this church was founded on. Read it with me. Now to him, who is him? God, who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Aren't those the same words God's been using throughout? Can I tell you, dear Christian, God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond whatever you could hope for, imagine, or dream if you would just let him do it. The truth is some of us feel guilty for being, for wanting to be great for wanting to be good, for wanting to increase, for wanting to prosper. Don't feel guilty about that. You know what I love about it is the New Testament, uh, the New Testament apostles were always arguing about greatness. You know, and they say, I'm great and I want to be the greatest and let me sit at your right hand and let me sit at the, and, and they were constantly arguing and Jesus would come around. Did he ever get on them? Did he ever say, you knuckleheads, how dare you want to be great? You should want to be a lowly worm. 
No. Matter of fact, he says, I'm glad you want to be great. God put that in you. But let me give you the parameters for greatness in the kingdom. You're not like the world. You're part of a new kingdom. In the kingdom, greatness is measured by service, by a complete, what? A complete submission to God and to saying, Lord, when your name is made great, when your name is made famous, when I glorify you in your house, in your name, by you, for your purpose, then that's greatness. That's what Jesus said. So I want you to think about this because God desires great things for you. Can you just get that deep in your heart today? God desires great things for me and I should be okay with that. I should be okay with that. And so the first four chapters introduce this evil character by the name of Pharaoh. He is the most evil man and the most powerful human man on the earth at the time. He represents, he represents the evil one against God's people because he sees the blessing of God and he despises it. He despises it. Remember, the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And it's not long before Pharaoh is so threatened by God's blessing on his people that he decides to kill every firstborn male child. And so you see him order all of the babies thrown into the Nile River. Ironically, one of these Hebrew mothers throws her own child into the Nile River, not before putting him in a basket. He floats down the river and he makes it behind enemy lines. Kind of reminds you of someone, doesn't it? Where God himself sends his own son behind enemy lines to be born, to be brought up in a worldly system only to be completely other than the world, to destroy the world and its system. And so, I mean, if you think about it, Moses is a type of Christ. If you think about it, he's a deliverer. He grows up. And, and, and so before we head on, I want you to think about what must have been going through this mother's mind and how evil and, 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 and tumultuous this time period must have been for a mother to throw her baby into the Nile River. But she put him in a basket. Now, I want you to think about this. We, we tend to think of the Nile River like the, like the Guadalupe or the Kamal, the Kamal or the Frio River. You know, I love to swim in the Frio River. That's where I learned to swim. That's where George Strait learned to swim. Some of you get, how do you know George Strait learned to swim there? Have you not heard all my exes live in Texas? He says it himself. Now, listen, that's not the Nile River. The Nile River, if you watch Nat Geo at all or Discovery, you know, there's some, the biggest crocodiles are found in the world in the Nile River. You know, there's hippos and there's snakes and there's all sorts of things that could harm this child. Do you imagine how desperate this woman must have been to put her own baby there? Now, something interesting, because Pharaoh's daughter is, is, is uh, by the Nile. I don't know what she's doing there. Maybe she's bathing, maybe she's doing something else. Uh, uh, but but, but she, we do know this, that she, listen to me very closely, she worships the God of the Nile. And because of her superstition, she sees this baby and is convinced that the God of the Nile has given her a child. 
She brings the child into her home and he's raised as a prince and she, she enlists the help of a servant, a slave woman to help raise the child, which happens to be Moses' mom. So Moses' mom ends up raising her own child as a prince in Pharaoh's daughter's house. And then over the course of time, Moses encounters God through the burning bush. You say, Pastor, you're, you're, you're going through this so quickly. Stay with me. A bush that is on fire but is not consumed and a voice comes out and says, where you, where you stand is holy. Take your sandals off. I have something to share with you, Moses. I need you and your brother Aaron to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. God is interested in your freedom. Let me say that again. God is interested in your freedom. If you are here today and you are struggling in this area, you go, well, I'm, I'm free. Are you? Are you free from fear? Are you free from substance abuse? Are you free from sexual uh, addiction? Are you free from anger? Are you free? What are you... What is holding you? Because God is interested. Not only is he interested, he is set on setting you free. And he wants to see you free. That he'll move heaven and earth to do it if you give him a chance. And so this is what happens. He says, tell Pharaoh to let my people go that they may worship me. Now, this is interesting because in another version, it says that they may serve me. Can I tell you that worship and service are closely linked? You'll see this throughout scripture. Many of us think that worship is something we come and receive. Worship is not just what happens on Sunday morning. It's less about receiving and more about giving. It's more about giving. See, some people, and maybe you are one of these people that come into service and you say, this is... Uh, service was good today. Pastor was on point. He was a little winded today, not so good. Or worship was, eh, it was all right. I didn't really feel it. Service is not about you. Worship is not about you. It's about the king of glory, what you bring to him. It's what you bring to him. And so here, he says, tell them to let my people go that they may serve me, that they may worship me. And so I know that Pharaoh is going to be hard-hearted and therefore I will bring several plagues and ultimately I will accomplish my good pleasure. And so 5 through 15, you have God confronting Pharaoh. 5 through 15, you have God confronting Pharaoh with these 10 plagues. Now it's interesting because the Bible says something very interesting, that God hardens his heart, but that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. So which is it? Did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart? Yes. Watch this. In the first five plagues, you see Pharaoh, these words are used, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Or his heart grew hard. In the next five plagues, you see these words. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So let me explain this. As, as, as simple as I can, at least this helps me to understand it. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. The sun, the S-U-N, shines its heat down 
melts the wax, but hardens the clay. It depends what your heart is made out of. And ultimately, you will respond to God with your heart. You were made to worship God. You were made to worship. And you will respond with your heart to his love. The question is, what's your response? So when the Bible says that that Pharaoh hardened his heart, yes, he had a part to play in it. When the Bible says God hardened his heart, yes, the same love that was shining on Moses was shining on Pharaoh, but they had two different responses. One melted, one hardened. What will you do? Because at the end of the day, yes, God has a part to play in it, but so do you. How do you respond to him? And so in the next five plagues, Pharaoh has hardened his heart so much that now God is hardening his heart too. And listen to this, God is gonna bend Pharaoh to his will because at the end of the day, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess whether you believe in Christ or not. There are no atheists in hell. None. You know by that time that Jesus is real. And every knee will bow, everything. So God is saying, you will accomplish my goodwill whether you want to or not. You can either do it willingly or unwillingly, but my goodwill will be accomplished. And so in the 10th plague, he really gets Pharaoh's attention by sending the angel of death. But this is, the, this is God's redemptive heart in this 10th plague. He says, Pharaoh, just like you killed the firstborn of my children, I'm gonna kill the firstborn of Egypt. But I am gonna give an opportunity for redemption. If you take a spotless, blameless lamb and you sacrifice it and take the blood and apply it to the doorpost and the headpost of any house, the angel will skip over that house and impart grace and salvation. Anyone that does not have this on the doorframe of their heart, uh-oh. This is ultimately a foreshadowing to Jesus Christ that would be that what? Would be that ultimate sacrificial lamb that, that has death pass over you. But have you accepted Jesus? Have you humbled yourself to say, Lord, I need you. I desire your salvation. And so this is known as the Passover until this day. Listen to me. The Jewish people celebrate this beautiful act of grace that God had as he passed over and passed over death from them. Do you realize that Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover? On Passover week. That's not coincidental. And so Pharaoh wakes up to find his son lifeless and, and he's so grief stricken that he just, in his, in his grief, he, he proclaims, get out of my sight, leave. I'm sick of you, get out. And so they take off and now they're going through the, the wilderness when he has a change of heart and he decides to go after them with all of his army. He goes dead, uh, dead set on destroying them only not realizing that he's actually marching towards his own destruction. Because when he gets to the Red Sea, he finds that the Red Sea has been 
has been split open. And God's people are going through the baptismal waters. Uh Uh-oh, that'll preach. I don't have time to preach that, but he's already saved them. Salvation takes place where? In your heart first, then you're baptized. And so they're going through the baptismal waters. You can't, never mind, I can't go there. I can't go there. I, I only have six minutes. See, you cannot appropriate what's for Christians if you're not a Christian. Doesn't work that way. Some people say, well, I like hanging around with Christians because they're getting showered with blessings and I get wet a little. (laughs) Right? Can I tell you, that's not the way it works because here Pharaoh tries to go in through those waters that are split open and God says no. He closes them and all of Pharaoh's army is killed that day. And so this beautiful song is the culmination of that salvation exodus message from slavery. And it's found in chapter 15. It's called the Song of the Sea. And it concludes the way it starts. It concludes that the sovereign Lord is king. That God Almighty is the sovereign king of glory. What does that mean? That he reigns over, that there is none other but above him, beside him. He alone is God. Do you know that this is something uh, that is consistent throughout scripture and it's a constant refrain throughout the, 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 uh, the prophets and the apostles and it ends in revelations where Jesus Christ is hailed the king of glory. Amen. And so you see this, and this song concludes with, with several themes. One of the themes is that God will confront evil, and he wants to confront it in your life. He wants to set you free. Number two, the Lord redeems those that are enslaved. He wants to set you free. Number three, the Lord leads his people to the promise. He will keep his promise to you. And his promise is that he loves you with an everlasting love and he is strong enough to set you free, to make you whole, to give you peace, to change you once and for all. And he will keep his promise if you let him melt your heart. Lastly, the Lord wants to dwell with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. So this is a story of what it's like to have God as your king. This is a story of what it's like to have God as your king. And and it's a story about worship because he's introducing the children of God, his people to worship. Because worship is connecting with God. Listen to me very closely. Worship is connecting with God. And when you connect with God, you will experience peace. Jesus came to connect you with God. He was God. And what did he say? I come to bring you peace. Peace. When you connect with God, you will be at peace. You know why you'll be at peace? Because you will experience your ultimate purpose. See, every one of us has an ultimate purpose of bringing God worship. We were created to worship. You're going to worship something. That's why Egypt, they worshiped the Nile. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped all sorts of, of, of 
things. Why? Because it's in your heart to worship. You were created to worship. You can either worship these things in creation or you can worship the almighty God that created all. And this is the thing. Not only were you created to worship, but you were created to bring him glory through your worship because you will live a life connected with him, bringing him glory. And ultimately, that's, that's ultimate peace. Now watch with me. The children of Israel had been very productive. What do I mean by very productive? Look, they've created like the, the seventh wonders of the world, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that part of what they did while they were in Egypt? They were creating all kinds of huge things that you can go to Egypt now and watch and look at all of those great pyramids and great structures that they produced. So they were productive. You can be productive and still be enslaved. My question to you here is this. Are you being productive and yet missing your purpose? Because ultimately what God desires for you is to connect with your purpose. Connect with your purpose and your purpose is to worship. Now watch. Let my people go that they may worship me. Worship is connected with freedom as well. Freedom. Freedom connects with truth in the New Testament. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Not only is worship connected with truth and freedom, but it's also connected with service. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament in just a second. They use those words interchangeably to worship or to serve God. Not just be productive in your own life, but to be productive purposefully as you advance his kingdom. Because you're part of his kingdom and he's your king. So watch this. To serve God, you've got to be selfless. Isn't that what Jesus says to his disciples? Learn to put others first. Learn to be selfless. Learn how to not have it all be about you. That's the world's way. I'm teaching you a kingdom way. And if you're going to be selfless, you'll ultimately learn what it is to sacrifice. This is what David says. This is, you can go back and forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the back to the New Testament, back to the Old Testament. David said, I cannot worship God if it doesn't cost me something. That means my worship has to be sacrificial. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in order to worship God, you've got to connect with your heart. And so this is what you find in the Exodus story. He sets them free physically, but then he says, now I'm going to teach you to give me your heart. This is interesting because so many of us, we worship God very superficially and we wonder why things aren't connecting with the abundance and the, and the exceedingly above and beyond multiplying fruitfulness and all these promises because we're still doing it the world's way from a very selfish standpoint instead of what? True worship when it comes from freedom, truth, service, sacrifice, selflessness where we say, Lord, I'm gonna give you what I value the most. I'm going to have it cost me something. You say, well, what does that mean? I can be here a whole hour talking about what that means. What do you value? Some people value money. 
Some people value their family. They put their family ahead of God. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. You shall have no other gods before me, is what God says to the people of Israel. He's saying, put me first. Give me prominence in your heart. That's what Jesus said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Make God your biggest treasure. Therefore, he has your heart. And you will experience your purpose in life. That's what Jesus says. Seek first the kingdom. Put God first and everything else will fall into place. Oh, pastor, but that requires tremendous trust. Okay, so the last two chapters, three chapters, 16 through 18, they take off through the wilderness. Pharaoh is dead, or, or his army's dead in the, uh, in the sea. Now they're going towards Mount Sinai, right? And so what you will find real quickly is they're complaining, criticizing, challenging God, challenging Moses, challenging Aaron. They're criticizing, they're complaining, just keeps going on. Why? Because this all comes from fear. Now go back to the list of worship. Sacrifice leads to love. Love drives out all fear. They haven't truly learned how to worship God with all their heart, connect with his love, because when you connect with God's love, it drives out your fear and you won't complain, you won't get worse, you won't, you won't react the way you used to react. And this is a process of them learning how to be free as they worship God. If you don't believe me, he highlights an entire sacrificial system for them, a worship system for them. That's what the rest of Exodus is in all of Leviticus. Teaching them to worship God, to connect with God, that he might dwell with them there in the tabernacle. So, so watch this. That's Old Testament, Pastor. What about New Testament? Well, the New Testament says, in the book of Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present. That's a technical, sacrificial term from the book of Leviticus and Exodus, that you present, like the priest would present the offerings to the Lord, you present yourself as a living offering, sacrifice, holy and acceptable. You're gonna see next week that the whole sacrificial system is about God's holiness and about being acceptable or pleasing to God, displeasing or unacceptable. Here, Paul is using the same words. Why? Because Exodus is a foreshadowing of what was to come. God wants to set you free and teach you how to connect with him that he might make you whole. When you connect with God, he makes you whole. And it happens through worship. So watch this. This is your reasonable service. Or watch the other version. This is your true and proper worship. Here it is again, service and worship. Can I ask you this year to no longer attend but to serve? Uh-oh. To no longer just attend but to serve. Worship God. Connect with his love. You'll see things begin to explode in your life exceedingly and abundantly. So this is where I finish. I told you I was a cheapskate. I got a $400 for the entire week room. Not a night, the week. Condo, it's a condo, it's not even just a room, it's a condo. 
Some of you are going, man, you get what you pay for. So we walked in, they had not vacuumed. It doesn't come with vacuuming. (laughs) The countertops were dirty. Crumbs on the chairs in the little table. The microwave is stained, there's stains everywhere. You go to the bathroom, it doesn't come with cleaning the bathroom. We hadn't looked at the bed sheets yet. And that moment, we turned into the children of Israel. (laughs) We did, because I said, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening to us. God, how could, right? My wife starts blaming me. I said, Lord, I thought you had me. You're supposed to have me, right? I need this. And then you start going, man, we should have just stayed in. Bastrop. <laughs> Instead of coming all the way out here to be miserable, my kids are trying to, and they just start blaming each other. And says, Why'd you get the stuff down? They're going to say that now we got to keep the room because they, because of COVID. And another kid's like, what do you mean because of COVID? This room is filthy. They haven't cleaned the thing. They need to clean it. And my wife's blaming me and I'm blaming her. You're always so negative. Can't you just be positive for once? I try to do a good thing. And What do you mean? You get what you pay for. And we're going back and forth. Finally, I get the bright idea. Let's call and and see if they'll do something about it. He said, we have no more rooms. This is it. I said, well, you're going to have to clean this room. So we're going to go out to dinner. We're going to run some errands. We're going to do some things. When we come back, clean it. So you're giving us permission to go in the room? Yes, ma'am. We haven't taken anything down. The one little thing we took down, we'll take it out, clean it up. Come back at 1030 at night. Only thing that was done is the chairs that we sat in, they put them back under the table, still crumbs everywhere, dirty marks everywhere, countertops dirty, and Raquel pulls back the bed sheet and starts counting hairs. (laughs) And from an angle, you can see the grime on the sheets. I was gonna show it, but I I decided that's just... (laughs) So I we really start turning into the children of Israel now. Nothing good ever happens for us. We start getting tempted, man. And and can I ask you, if something as small as a condo can create this much stress, what about something big? And and how many of us, how many of you have been there? Where you start stressing out and you're like, nothing good ever happens. Why is this always us? I guess we're always just going to be. And I said, that's it. And I said, come on, we got to believe for better. Yeah, but we're still stuck in this. And then we started trying and we got together. We started praying and said, Lord, we believe that your blessing is for us. That you love us, that you care for us. And. Just then I got an idea and I said, Lord, I need you to fight for me. And I'm gonna use this wicked little phone to help me. (laughs) And I hit my camera and I just started filming and I said, look at this, this is crazy. In a day and age where they have all these COVID protocols, they've exposed us to COVID. They didn't clean a thing. All they, if they had any pride at all, they could have gotten a rag. Look, this is water, a simple rag. Look, the stain comes off. This red stain, I don't know what it is. Let's hope it's not something bad. And I just started cleaning a little bit and Raquel was counting hairs and we were filming. 
and then I walk into the manager or to the front desk and I said, uh, can I speak to the manager? I got something to show you. I said, Lord, I'm gonna let you fight this. And she said, that's never good when somebody comes in at 11 at night, says, I wanna speak to the manager and hands me their phone and just steps back. I said, hit play. She hit play and she's like, oh my God. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. I said, no, I didn't. But she goes, oh my goodness, this is crazy. This is, she, I've seen enough, I've seen enough. Mr. Pena, let us make it right. I said, what do you have in mind? She says, how about we get you a way bigger condo? How about we do it in the ones that we've redone completely this year? Really, no one stayed in it. It's, it's brand new. It's got the view of the mountains. And we'll give you a $200 gift card. And we'll give you a bottle of wine. And, and I said, just keep it coming. <laughs> Mama's almost okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm just like, man, Lord, you were good. But this is what I told the first service. I said, I thought I had it. But God was reminding me, you didn't need me just yet. I'm not just good for getting you out of Egypt. I'm good for sustaining you through the wilderness and into the promised land. I will always be your way. I will always be your help. You're never gonna be in a point when you don't need me, son. So the sooner you realize that, the, close, the quicker we can get into a worship relationship where you live completely dependent on me. So that is, that is so much better, Lord, because I was about to lose my stuff. My, 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 my cheese was about to slide off my cracker. I can't take, that's my, that's my disciple, Russell. He says that. But it was, I, I was about to lose it with her. She was about to lose it with me. We were turning into the children of Israel in the wilderness. You'll see that next week. Can I tell you, God wants to be your deliverer. Not just when you were in Egypt. If you find yourself in the wilderness, he wants to be your deliverer. He wants to be your lover. If you find yourself in the promised land, stay in the promised land, right? By staying with God. I love you, church. So would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I receive your deliverance. I know that your son Jesus is that sacrificial lamb that spares me from death. Lord Jesus, I declare that I need you and I will forever need you. Big and small, short and tall, regardless of the need, I need you. And I know that you have provided for me and my freedom through what you did on the cross. Thank you for giving your body and shedding your blood that I might have freedom. In Jesus' name. I love you, church. Have a great great week.